Hello and welcome to Prescribing Change, a podcast from the General Medical Council. We've just published a UK-wide review of medical students and doctors' well-being. This was independently co-chaired by Professor Michael West and Dame Denise Coyer. We asked Michael and Denise to identify factors that impact doctors' well-being so that we can work with organisations across the UK to help tackle the causes. In this series, we talked to three of our clinical fellows about the findings and recommendations of the review. We also hear about their own experiences and stories about managing well-being on the front line. Visit our website to read the full report, and if you want to share your story or give us feedback on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at GMC UK. I'm Sunita Cross and I'm the GMC's Digital Content Officer. I'm also the producer of this podcast and I'll be conducting the interviews throughout the series. So today I'm talking to three of our new clinical fellows who are joining us from different parts of the UK and different medical specialties. Thanks all for coming along today. Would you please start by introducing yourself? Hi, so my name's Catherine. I'm a psychiatry trainee from South Wales. Hi, I'm Alice. I'm an anaesthetics trainee based in Edinburgh. And I'm Adam. I'm a GP trainee uh, based here in Manchester. As part of his review, Michael West looked at literature and data from the UK and abroad to see what evidence he could find for the different factors that impact on well-being. He spoke to doctors, medical students in England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland so that their voices were also included in the review. So one of the main findings that struck out to me in the research is that when doctors' well-being is taken into consideration, it's pretty clear that there are better outcomes for patients. Does, did that finding surprise you guys when you read that? No, it didn't surprise me at all. I think when we are going in every day and we're looking after patients, it stands to reason that if we feel supported, well looked after, and we feel that our well-being is being taken into account then we feel that we're a lot more equipped and ready to perform the job that we're there to do to the best of our ability and I think that patients can only benefit from having doctors that feel that they are supported and that their well-being is being taken into account. I'd agree with that. As a profession doctors are a group of people that work incredibly hard and if we're given the right set of tools and the right workplace environment to do that in we will produce the best outcomes for our patients. I think for me it felt a lot like common sense but sometimes when you know something fundamentally and you believe it to be common sense and then you see it on paper with all the evidence that backs it up and just the extent to which it's true and backed by the literature it can be quite stark so I mean you know that when you go to work and you're feeling happy and you're having a good day and everything's kind of going your way you probably do work and perform better but the extent to which that made a real difference to patients I think was even more than I had believed um, going into this review and I think it's quite nice when something that we all know as a profession is backed up there in black and white and all the figures that are behind it are just put down on paper. I agree with you Alice that it is it seems to me to be common sense if you've got happy people in any workplace, they're gonna probably do better work. And obviously in a healthcare context, that's really important because that's gonna to lead to better outcomes for patients. So in light of this then, and how important well-being clearly is, 
Do you think staff wellbeing is being given enough importance in our health services at the moment? From a personal perspective, um, I've experienced difficult times as a trainee uh, when I felt that perhaps I wasn't in an environment where I could speak to somebody on a personal level about what was going on in my own life. Um, I think there's a risk there if you don't value your trainees or you don't value doctors in general, there, there will be some wobbles along the way and people won't feel that they're able to, to talk through and work through difficulties that they might be having. I, th I think in general there seems to be more of a focus on mental health, not just in, in the medical profession but um, the, the UK population in general. There's, there's a big drive to think about mental health, there's a, good, there's a huge drive to think about well-being. Um, and I think that the, the good thing about this, this report is that it is going to start that conversation within our demographic of people who work in, in a healthcare setting to actually start looking at ways that we can support our own well-being. Um, I think there are examples that, that this is being done already. From a primary care perspective, as I'm a GP trainee, I've had experiences where I've been work, where I've worked in a GP practice where there is a, a, a big um, drive to have a community of practice. Everyone is talking to each other. Everyone's there to support each other. If you've had a difficult day, there are options to debrief with each other. But I've also worked in settings where you are very much alone. You go in, you, you settle down in your room, you see your patients in the day, and there is so much going on in the day that people just don't take the time to talk to each other. And I think it's very easy to then leave that room, go home, and have no... Uh, feeling that you've been able to offload your problems or discuss or process your problems with other people and I think that's extremely important to do. I think for me it's something that certainly hasn't been given the priority that it should have and I think you're right that conversation is starting, that conversation is becoming very much a, a centre of our profession right now but there's always a risk with that that something seems like a fad, that mm -hmm. something seems zeitgeisty and of the moment and I think what we re really need to be careful of and as a profession we need to really emphasize is that this isn't something transient so for me you go to to work on a normal day and there'll be days when somebody really looks after your well-being somebody really makes you feel good takes the time to give you feedback takes the time to make sure you feel supported but then there'll be other days you go to work and you see somebody really, really struggling. You think, I just don't know how best to help this person, but I know there are people around me having a really difficult time. And I think that, for us as doctors, is a really challenging thing. So I think wellbeing isn't something that necessarily I prioritise for myself in a way that I should. I don't think it's something that the profession has prioritised. And I think that we as doctors probably need to take a step back and say actually this isn't the next big thing, this isn't the latest cool thing for people to be discussing, this is a really critical fundamental problem at the heart of our profession that we need to address now and forever. The experiences that we have as doctors have to be acknowledged, you know we see people on the absolute brink potentially at the worst time in their lives and we see these people every day, day in, day out. So. We have to also include medical students and doctors in training, as well as every other doctor, from the perspective of future-proofing our workforce. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I think this is definitely the start of the conversation and it feels like something that's gaining momentum. And I just don't want that momentum to be lost. And it's something that 
we need to change cultures. I know there's been a lot of talk in, in this report about looking at secondary prevention measures for things like mindfulness and yoga, which have a lot of value, but which are about a temporary fix versus the change in cultures, the change in the way we structure ourselves, the change in the way we view ourselves as a profession and making those kind of big fundamental shifts that will last long into the future. And I think that's what I really like about this document. And that really struck a chord with me. I think people need to be empowered to find ways of looking after their own well-being, And that is by facilitating it, by making the workplace uh, an environment that supports that and allows you to achieve that for yourself. And as you were saying, Catherine, you know, that needs to be inbuilt from the minute you arrive at medical school all the way through up to consultants who are retiring because well-being is going to mean different things to different people at different stages of their career um, but people need to be equipped with that from day one to be able to adapt and change to what is a very what can be a very pressurized work environment the reason why this is a conversation as well is that there's a lot of really great examples within the report of things that have happened locally to improve well-being or improve the work environment and the idea is that we need to start having those conversations on a local level and work out what will work best for our practice our hospital and empowering the entire medical profession to make some of those changes so we talked a lot about the theory of it i mean it's clear that if you prioritise workplace wellbeing for doctors and students at all levels and of course for other health professionals and other people working in the health services, um, that's going to lead to better outcomes and everyone's just happier, which is just such a, just makes a nicer culture to work yeah. in. Um, I wondered if you had any kind of concrete examples of where, you know, um, Adam, you mentioned about um, having time for debriefs and things like that in a practice you worked at. Any other examples you've got of where somewhere you worked did something really good that you wish other places um, would take on? Or, you know, conversely, somewhere you worked where they just didn't prioritise your wellbeing at all? From the point of view of being a psychiatry trainee, I think that there's several things that work well and have worked well for a number of years within psychiatry. We have the opportunity pretty much on a weekly basis if we need it for regular supervision with a clinical supervisor who's experienced in reflecting and supporting reflection of your work. What also happens which is helpful and I think probably could be made more available for more of the medical workforce is the, the idea of balance groups. Sometimes there are various different definitions for this also known as Schwartz rounds, which is a slightly different idea. But again, it's, it's essentially, it's a process which allows a group of colleagues to reflect upon and work through a situation that may have occurred. And I think, Adam, you've experienced this within your GP practice as well. Absolutely, so, so things like debriefing and, and having a chance to offload is not something that can that necessarily needs to happen on an individual basis, it can happen in a group setting as well. So general practice is still called from time in time memoriam a vocational training scheme or a VTS. And, and that involves a half day where you, uh, where you meet with your uh, fellow GP trainees across the three years of training within your local area. Um, and that tends to happen one afternoon a week. In the, in the, the area that I train in, 
uh, we have a time, uh, a period of time built in to each one of those afternoons where you go into a smaller group, you sit in a circle, and everyone is given time to go around and just offload absolutely anything about their working week. So that can be good things that have happened, it can be interesting patients that they've seen, but it also gives an opportunity that if you've had a particularly challenging time, that that can be brought up. Now obviously some people aren't going to feel comfortable doing that, even in a small uh, circle group, but you have your one of the training programme directors heads up one of those groups, and so there is ample opportunity for you to get to know these people over the three years, and so if you're not comfortable to say it um, in the circle setting, you can obviously take some time to, to talk to them on a one-to-one -one basis. I think what you're bringing out there that you know really strikes me as being quite similar to my experience is the sense of community mm, yeah because i often refer to the anesthetics trainees in the southeast of scotland as my community and yeah. i talk about going back to my community um but i do really see them in that way and i can always think of who i would go to with what problem I know that they all came together in their own free time to do exam practice for me. I've got over 40 anaesthetic textbooks that they've all donated to me, although I shouldn't necessarily admit that because I don't think they collectively know how many I've still got. Alice, you'll hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> they're now under my, uh, they're under my stairs. Good dog stop, dog stop. Um, I know. But yeah. But we do come together. We do look after each other when we can. And I know, so I can think of a recent example where I was having a crummy day and somebody said something incredibly unconstructive to me and I thought, I am going to go into a corner and cry now. And I spoke to one of the senior trainees and he was like, right, we're going to go into this corner and cry together. Yeah. <laughs> and he That's sat good. with me yeah. and basically told me, put that to one side. It's not a legitimate um, piece of feedback, it's not a helpful piece of feedback, and I know this, 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 and this about you. And if I had gone home and dwelled on what had been said and thought it over in my mind for days, I think I would have felt truly awful about myself yeah. and my ability as a doctor. But the ability to talk about it with somebody else, actually you can put those things in perspective and give them the degree of legitimacy that they truly deserve. Yeah. Um, but m I know that within anaesthetics where, where I work there's been a lot of thinking around how do we build that community how do we bring people together and that's sometimes been focused around pub quizzes or um, meetups but it's actually how we help each other so all that exam practice having somebody to sit down and talk with being able to have a cup of tea with somebody being able to tell somebody about my rubbish day that's what I see as my community and that's what's made those people really important to me um, so I think that's something that I've really valued that sounds to me to be very similar but just in a slightly different setting to what you have. Absolutely, and you can, you can adapt these things. They don't have to be all things to all people. It can be as simple as having a WhatsApp group um, from, from, and that's something that we do have. But just as that there is that collective place where everyone's got access to everyone else, they can identify individuals that they identify with, get along with, and just having that support network there and yeah, I think community is a really lovely word for it because, because you are with these people for quite a few years of your life and you're all working towards the same goal and people are going to have different coping mechanisms that they can help each other with along the way. Drawing from the report, I think the idea of well-being, community and a sense of belonging, the report itself actually focus, focuses upon the importance of teams, but it, it talks a lot about the quality of that team, what that team needs to bring 
about to ensure that people do feel that they belong to that team and they have a role within that team and that the team itself reviews its roles and reviews its aims on a regular basis. A lot of what we've talked about draws on, on those ideas and very much I think is key to potentially belonging to a team or a community. I think the thing that struck me the most there is the fact that one of the big key points is you need to have time to get to know the people you work with. And again, another common sense kind of idea, but here now we have some literature to back that up, which is great. So another stat that was quite shocking, but maybe wasn't to you guys, um, in Michael West's report, was that 47% of doctors working in secondary care are thinking about leaving the organisation they work for, and one in five are thinking about leaving the health services forever. And the National GP Work-Life Survey um, reported the lowest levels of job satisfaction among GPs, and that 35% of GPs are considering quitting direct patient care in the next five years. What do you guys make of those figures? Does that chime with what you've heard from colleagues and how you might have felt in your career so far? And what do you think those kind of statistics might mean for you and your colleagues, and of course for your patients in the future? I think for me, on the one hand, there was nothing that surprised me in those figures. But what it did really bring home to me is, this is half of my friends. Half of my friends feel like they want to leave the organisation they work for, because most of my friends are doctors. The people I'm with every day are doctors. And to me, that is huge. Um, and I think just having that realisation come home again, that that number of people that I work with, that I'm friends with, are just fundamentally not happy with what they're doing, was really surprising and sobering. I think it highlights that wellbeing isn't a fad. As Alice said earlier, well-being has to be considered, it has to be something that has to be taken seriously and the problem isn't going to go away. The NHS, in a sense, if you think of the workforce like a combustion engine, the workforce perhaps is running out of steam. Well-being needs to be considered as a priority. I think if one in five doctors leaves the NHS, the NHS will crumble, it cannot cope with that kind of exodus. And I think at the moment, the NHS is so much running on the moral duty and the sense of vocational purpose that doctors have, that as that goes away and as that trickles out and you see people leaving, I think there were more stats today in The Guardian from the NPS um, about 50% about of doctors thinking about going overseas um, in order to protect their own well-being. And you can see why people would do that, but the NHS just cannot cope. You cannot replace that number of people in a short period of time. You just won't be able to deliver a health service. As you said, Alice, those, those figures are extremely sobering. I think we all go into work, we have bad days, we have good days, our colleagues have bad days and good days. And I think you can get a bit of a, an idea that, that this is the kind of direction things are going in just by hearing people and all of their different reasons whether it's work-life balance whether it's particular stresses in the career that they've chosen but actually seeing them as cold hard figures on, on, on paper actually then makes you realize that when put on the spot people are willing to say that they are so disillusioned that they are willing to give up everything that they've worked so hard towards and the satisfaction that they hoped to derive from their career 
because on balance it's actually damaging their own physical, mental health. I think when you see people who recognise their own physical and mental health suffering, which I think this report demonstrates that people know they're suffering, people know that they're burnt out, people know that their well-being is being impacted and that they're being driven to the brink and that they're exceeding capacity and how can you then blame people for wanting to find a way out? And if people think that the only way out is to leave the NHS, is to leave their post, is to go overseas, you can't possibly criticise them for that. But I think what that does then do is put even more strain on those that are left behind. You've, you've got more rotor gaps, you've got more work for everybody that's left to do. And so inevitably, it's almost a domino effect. One leaves and the stress on everybody else is so much greater that the next one is definitely going to go at some point. Yeah. So I think if we don't do something now, it's almost an exponent. You know, it will just get bigger and bigger and bigger and the problem is only going to grow if you don't address it. The workforce population is just getting thinner and thinner as it's spread more and more on more and more thinly. Um, and I think the only way that we're going to get beyond this is not there's not going to be one quick fix overnight. There has to be a systematic root cause analysis of why all these individual people are feeling the way they're feeling and then measures need to be put in place so that this is not such a powerful feeling that's, that's making them want to do this. I think what is important is that root cause analysis that does come back to actually I think what this report is really trying to do is trying to say okay what are the problems that we have to address and so I think this will add to the literature that we have, the discussion that we have. Yeah, and, and it's information that is really important that we and the health service as a whole acts upon. Because this is it's gonna be very easy to take everything that this report has found and go, isn't it awful, isn't it a shame? But it needs to be acted upon. We need to we need to take what is in the report, what is in the literature, and actually build on that and find ways of being able to deliver these changes that are needed. Absolutely, and that's what we'll be talking about in the rest of the series. So thank you all for sharing your stories with us today. It's been really interesting to hear from your perspective. So following Michael West's extensive research and the conversations he had with doctors and medical students, his review suggests that there are three core needs that medics should experience in the workplace, and those are autonomy, belonging and competence. In the rest of this series, we'll look at each of these needs in detail and discuss the report's recommendations on how we can address the causes rather than just the symptoms of poor staff well-being. We as clinical fellows really want to hear your thoughts and ideas about all the issues we discuss and how we move forward with them. So please tweet us at GMT UK, go on the website to read the full report or comment below. Prescribing Change is a podcast by the General Medical Council. Thank you to Dame Denise Coyer and Professor Michael West for co-chairing this review. And thanks to our guests, Drs Alice Rutter, Adam Thomas and Catherine Walton. <laughs>